Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 83, the Mikel Bridges episode, who made NBA history just last season as he played 83 games rather than the standard 82 in the regular season. Due to the blockbuster trade that sent uh, Bridges to Brooklyn for, of course, Kevin Durant. Before we get into our opening tip, just a quick reminder, with NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, BetOnline has you covered with all the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today and get in on the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use our co- promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And tonight, Bruce, I'll start with you for our opening tip. Thank you, Ross. How you doing, World B? I'm reporting to everybody from the Delray Beach, Florida Bureau right now, as we'll <laughs> nice. be spending some time down here. Keeping my eye on the leak from down here, though, and... Uh, uh, Happy to happy to be here, and promise you, I am. It's going to snow in New England. Anyway, Steve <laughs> Kerr. We're going to start all the way three thousand miles away from here with Steve Kerr. He feels the Warriors, as a team, are lacking the grit that they need in order to be a good team. Now, going into Monday night's action, the team's eleventh in the West and currently out of the play-in, let alone the playoffs. The simple explanation is that their lack of grit can be pegged to the absence of Draymond Green, who personifies gritty play. Well, while the team definitely misses their emotional engine, their record without him has been better than their record with him. Since starting his current suspension in, on December 14th, the Dubs are not, or five and four, okay? Uh, but the only good team they've beaten out of those five wins is Boston in that overtime win a couple weeks ago. Their offensive numbers have been good, but their defense is 19th in points allowed. Steve feels that the uh, team chemistry is good, so there's no discord in the locker room. And look, Steve Kerr knows his team as well as any coach could possibly know their team. So far be it from me to disagree with the future Hall of Fame coach. But I wonder if the issue isn't so much a lack of grit as it is that the younger guns in the NBA are finally catching up to the aging dynasty. Great question there, Bruce. And I think I would agree with you there. I think we just got such a mass of young talent out there that uh, is just kind of catching up to an older group of guys. World B, what do you have for an opening tip? Well, thank you, Ross. You know, my job, uh, one of my jobs I have is to look at statistics in the, in the NBA and look on beyond just your traditional points per game, field goal percentage, and what have you. I tend to try and look for what I call advanced statistics, uh, I on this show a lot. I use efficiency. I use effective field goal percentage. Another barometer that I feel is a better way to evaluate the team and to see exactly how well they play. But if you really, if you're a fan of a team, you really want to see where your team is at in this era of the NBA. All you have to really do is look at the three point shooting for these teams and see where your team is and to see how good your team either is or is not in this case. It is such at this point, the way the three point shot has been utilized over the last 10 years, it's really a, a fairly simply uh, simple way to look and see your team. Doesn't work for everybody. The Orlando Magic have a winning record, they're the worst three point shooting team in the league. But if you look at the numbers right now, of the 
top 12 teams in three-point field goal percentage, 11 of them have winning records. And if you look at the bottom 12 in three-point field goal percentage, only two of them have winning records. So, and, and I mentioned one of them being the Magic, who, were, as we're seeing, are slowly sinking down the standings because they simply cannot shoot consistently. And like I said, they're the worst shooting team in the league from three-point range. So going forward, if you're looking come trading that like, what does my team need? What why how do we get better? Look and see what three-point shooters are available and see if you if there's a way to pick these guys up. Because really, if your team's gonna be anywhere, it doesn't guarantee a championship, but if it's gonna be anywhere, three-point shooting, perimeter shooting is a must in this day and age of the NBA. Well said there will be, and shooting definitely comes at a premium. We've seen it with a lot of the Miami sharpshooters. Duncan Robinson got paid. Max Struess went on to Cleveland and got paid. Um, so there's not many out there unless you're talking Evan Fournier on that uh, 20 mil expiring, which we might get to later. But I'm also going to be safe to assume the Detroit Pistons aren't one of the best shooting three-point shooting teams, are they? Oh, you got that right. <laughs> the Portland Trailblazers, the San Antonio Spurs, they all, you know, they have a lot of things in common, but one of the things they have is they can't shoot. Yeah. And eventually it catches up with you. And like I'm going back to the Orlando Magic, we're starting to see them sink down the standings because at some point teams are going to just say, make a jump shot. And if they can't, you're going to see a lot of L's pop up in their column. Well said there will be, and uh, that is important to keep in mind moving forward. For my opening tip, I uh, just want to bring uh, uh, some light to last Wednesday. Senator Herb Cole passed away at the age of 88. He worked and lived a very successful and widely impressive life, serving 24 years as a United States senator from Wisconsin. Alongside his brother and father, he was the founder of the popular Cole's Department Store Chains, and back in 1985, he bought the Milwaukee Bucks in an effort to prevent them from relocating out of Milwaukee. Simply put, he was a savior to the Milwaukee Bucks franchise. On a more personal level, I never... I'm sorry here, I'm losing my, my train of thought here. But on a more personal level, I likely never would have considered attending Marquette University if it weren't for him. As I chose to attend Marquette, located in downtown Milwaukee, to be close to the Bucks which provided me a great chance to get my foot in the door with an MBA organization. With a lot of hard work and per, uh, persistence, I was able uh, to reach that goal. And better yet, I was able to interact with Senator Cole on a number of occasions. I'll always remember him as a man of few words, but he greeted all his employees with a smile, positive words of encouragement, and a genuine appreciation for each individual's efforts to make the Bucks organization a great place to work. In 2013, during my second year as a full-time assistant video coordinator for the Bucks, it was announced that Senator Cole was selling the team with one big caveat. He would only sell the team to new ownership that was committed to keeping the franchise in Milwaukee. His loyalty and care for the state of Wisconsin, and in particular, the city of Milwaukee, had no bounds. In 2011, in 2011 Senator Cole announced that he would not run for re-election in the, in the Senate, stating... Quote, the office doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the people of Wisconsin. And there is something to be said for not staying in office too long. Just two years later, during the sale process of the Bucks, Senator Cole would turn down a reported $1 billion offer from Steve Ballmer, who would have looked to move the franchise out of Milwaukee. 
Instead, Senator Cole took a $550 million offer from the New York-based billionaires Wes Edens and Mark Lazary, who agreed to keep the team in Milwaukee. But it didn't stop there. Senator Cole donated $100 million to help build the Pfizer Forum, which is the, the now state-of-the-art NBA arena the Bucks play in today. But again, it didn't stop there. When the $550 million sale went through, Senator Cole distributed portions of the sale profits to each and every full-time Bucks employee, myself included. While cheering on and watching my friend Giannis Antetokounmpo win his first NBA championship in 2021 remains a highlight for me. I'm certainly glad Senator Herb Cole was able to witness it and be a part of the championship celebration prior to his passing. If there is any former professional sports owner that deserved to see that special championship run and parade to follow, it was certainly Senator Herb Cole. May he rest in peace and forever be remembered as a man that saved NBA basketball in Milwaukee, not once, but twice, because over anything else, Senator Herb Cole cared about the Milwaukee Bucks organization, Bucks fans, and the surrounding communities in the state of Wisconsin. He didn't talk it, he lived it. And that's all I got to say there. Um, definitely was a special man and uh, someone I certainly do appreciate in my life, and uh, he'll certainly be missed. I watched a game with him one time. Did you? Wow. Yes, so I did. Yes, I did. Can you give us a brief story on that real quick? Absolutely. Our mutual friend, Dan Smichek, the PR guy yep. for the Milwaukee Bucks, back when I was working for ESPN in November of 2012, um, I called Dan up and said, hey, you know, uh, I'd love to drive up from Connecticut and say hello to you. If there's any chance, I'd love to bring my son to the game and and, you know, if you could hook us up. And Dan was great. You know, you know, Dan, he's a great guy. So he not only did he hook us up, but seated next to me was none other than Senator Herbert wow. Cole, uh, the owner of the team. And it was interesting because, you know, Dan came over before the game to make sure that, you know, Senator was settled in and everything. You know, that's one of the many things that Dan's great at as a as a PR guy. And, uh, you know, he introduced us and, you know, and I knew who Senator Cole was. Uh, but he was super nice. And again, he didn't say very much when we were watching the game because he had this laser focus. It was almost, I, I was trying to figure out if I should like read anything into this, but Scott Skiles was the coach at the time. Okay. And we were sitting directly behind the Bucks bench, probably about 10 rows up. Okay. So I mean, perfect view. And he was like, dialed in on Scott every time out. He was intently focused on Scott Skiles. The Bucks had a really good game that night. I, I remember that they won. Uh, and I just went back on basketball reference to see what the score was today. And the Bucks won by 11 points. I mean, they had a really good game. I remember Larry Sanders was good in that game. So um, what I meant, remember about him was he was like every man. He walked in yep. there. He had that Milwaukee Bucks hat on. He had on like a, you know, kind of a winter parka. Um, just casual dress, wasn't, you know, it was no entourage, no nothing, just Senator Cole. And I, and I just thought to myself, here's a remarkable human being that looks as normal as the next person. Forget about the fact that he owned the team. How about the fact that he was a senator for 24 years? And how about the fact that the store chain that he founded after Walmart is probably the second most popular retail chain in the entire United States. Okay. Yeah. Just a remarkable multi-level amazing man, Ross. And you're very fortunate. I mean, I spent one evening with him. You had a much larger sample size. Yeah, no, definitely very grateful for my time with him and uh, certainly won't forget him anytime soon. 
Now, as we get to our first half here, fellas, we had our first trade of the season, and I got to say it was a quite significant one. And uh, this past weekend, the New York Knicks traded 23-year-old and former third overall pick in 2019, R.J. Barrett, 24-year-old and former 25th overall pick in 2020, Emmanuel Quickly, and the Detroit Pistons 2024 second round pick, which for once is a very valuable second rounder that we'll talk about later, to the Toronto Raptors in exchange for 26-year-old and former 23rd overall pick in 2017, OG Ananobi, 24-year-old and 20th overall pick in 2020, Precious Achua, and 25-year-old and former 29th overall pick in 2020, Malachi Flynn. So, World B, you're our next guy here. Uh, lots to break down with this trade. Lots of first former first rounders in this deal. What, as as our fellow Knicks fan here, I mean, what was your first reaction? Uh, I wasn't surprised because if you've been following the Knicks or following the NBA, the the connection's been there for a while. I was surprised to see the Knicks do business with a team that they're suing. That that yeah. was an interesting <laughs> little uh, side. Only the Knicks would pull that one off, <laughs> I suppose. So that that was uh, the Knicks being the Knicks in that regard. But from on the court standpoint. I uh, wasn't that surprised uh, that the deal happened. The Knicks gave up some stuff. That's how trades work. You got to give up stuff to get stuff. Yep. And clearly, uh, Tom Thibodeau was not happy with the direction of the team defensively. I mean, that's that's the best way to put it. Uh, why would you trade for a guy who can be a free agent at the end of the year? You know, you're going to try and sign if he does well. You want to boost up your defense. You're seeing the season start to slip away a little bit uh, or you're starting to fall further back in the East uh, because you know, your defense stinks. It's just, it's been getting worse and worse since his first year there. I mean, they had top five defense his first season with the Knicks and been getting worse and worse and worse. And he's a defensive guy. So this uh, I'm excited about seeing what, what's going to happen coming up for uh is it going to have the same impact that uh josh hart had last season with the knicks all right bruce uh what was your reaction and let's start off talking about the big prize in this deal og ananobi guy was second team all defensive last year i mean he's a he's an incredibly effective wing defender he's a he's you know your classic three and d type of guy um he has the reputation of being a great teammate okay but, you know, there was some rumblings during the offseason that in Toronto, he he wanted to be a little bit more involved in the offense. He wanted more touches. And, you know, um, now he's playing with ball stopper Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, who controls the, the ball for them. They really, if they're smart, and Jalen Brunson's smart, I'm not so sure if Randle is going to be on board with this, but Brunson is going to make sure that OG gets some some quality touches because if you're going to expect a guy to go out there and just guard people like he guards them, you've got to reward him. It's like when a big man runs the floor, you got to get him the ball. Well, when a guy like Ananobi, who is a capable three point shooter, I mean, he had 17 points in his debut, which is a little bit above his average. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's going to be highly motivated too. I mean, everyone says he can be a free agent. Well, he actually has a player option for next year. So he is technically signed for another year, but look, it's it's for nineteen point nine million. Okay, so if he does well for the Knicks and they do well, he can just kind of say, "All right, forget that. I'm I'm going to go get me some money." So uh, I think if he gets enough touches to make him happy, this is a great move for the Knicks. I mean, 
I do think that their depth will suffer without quickly coming off of the bench. Um, but as World B said, you know, you can't expect to get a guy like that and not, you know, it's it's painful. You got to give people up, you know, ask the Celtics about that. Yeah. And I, Bruce, I'm glad you mentioned the fact that he wanted more touches in Toronto because he's certainly going to get that in New York and he's going to be counted on to score, especially with quickly gone, Barrett gone. I mean, outside of spot up shooter and Dante DiVincenzo and Josh Hart, who has some hot games scoring the basketball, he's got to be that third piece for this team. It's going to be a three headed monster now of Brunson, uh, OG and Julius Randle that are going to have to carry the load there. But, uh, you know, this is a very versatile defender. Even in his debut game against the Knicks, he guarded Carl Anthony Towns for most of that game. Did a pretty good job, despite what the box score would tell you there. He's got a seven foot two wingspan, um, which obviously can't be uh, something you can teach. And if you're already committed to the defensive end, that's only going to help you work wonders. And uh, one quick note on OG that I never overrate OG Ananobi was a member of that Toronto 2019 championship team at just 21 years of age. And just his second year in the league where he did average a tick over 20 minutes a night. So he does have championship experience, which could go a long way with a team like the Knicks, where I don't think there's many people in that locker room that that can say the same there. Will be? Yeah, a couple things about him here. When he was uh, – his first game the other night, when he was on the court, the Knicks held uh, the Timberwolves well under a point per possession. Anytime you're doing that, you're playing great defense. Now, Minnesota is not going to be confused with – with the Celtics when it comes to offense, but you hold a team under a point per possession. You're doing really good. When he was on the court, they, they did that. So that that's something to keep in mind, his impact already on defense. Bruce mentioned about his three-point shooting ability. It is He is a good three-point shooter in certain spots. They're going to look for him in the corner. That's where he's going to be situated on offense and get the passes when Brunson drives, when when – Randall gets a double team or whatever the case. They're all going to be looking for him in the corner. He shoots about 46 or 47% on corner threes. From the above the break area, he's making less than a third, about 31%, 32%. So th- he is capable if you put him in the right spot. Now, I agree. He's going to be needed scoring or whatever, and their depth is uh, is a concern when you get rid of a potential six-man a year and quickly. But you're going to drop DiVincenzo back to uh back to the bench role with him and Hart. That's a pretty good bench to come off. They gotta get healthy again. I don't know if Mitchell Robinson's gonna be back this season. That's another reason why I'm sure we'll talk about pressures that they, they picked him up for death because they really don't have any in that middle out, outside of Hartenstein right now. Yeah, and you mentioned his uh corner three ability being about forty six percent, which is quite impressive there. Absolutely. That's where you really want OG is in the corner. Where where does Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle tend to operate? Julius Randle's on the elbows, you know, and yep. Jalen Brunson's at the top of the key. So you need a kind of a slasher cutter, as uh, Bruce, Bruce, I think, alluded to, was the fact that Julius Randle's going to get some double teams and, uh, you know, they're going to need someone slashing on the baseline. So I think he can be a beneficiary of all the attention Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle are going to get within their offense already. You know, go, go. Don't 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 forget. I mean, you know, he was coached for most of his career by Nick Nurse, and you know, Nick Nurse yep. guys tend to be really good when it comes to those sort of things like cutting along the baseline and just you know the high IQ type plays. Yep. And then you kind of already teased the second one here. Preston Chua will be. 
I've always been a fan of Achua since I watched him first play in the Nike Hoop Summit. Uh, he went went on to play one year at Memphis. He's only 24 years old and is now on his third NBA team, which sounds like a major red flag. But let's not forget that uh, he's now been involved in two major trades. The first being the deal that sent Kyle Lowry to Miami. And then, you know, obviously with Mitchell Robinson now due to injury, you can call me crazy, but I think Achua was being included in this deal was absolutely a must do. This absolutely mattered to the Knicks to get Achua in this deal with Mitchell Robinson out. Now he can help uh, relieve some of the minutes from Isaiah Hartenstein. And uh, I think uh, Achua is a 6'8 big who's got some versatility. He's comfortable guarding out on the perimeter and pick and roll situations. And, uh, you know, I think he might surprise some Knicks fans. What are your thoughts with that, World B? Oh, I absolutely do. I, I totally agree with you. They had to get some depth there. I mean, they signed Todd Gibson off the, off yeah. the uh, for lack of a better phrase, scrap heap. To provide depth, they did. You know, he went back to one of you know Tibbs went back to one of his uh, favorite guys, who you know is is a fine, uh, capable backup for a certain amount of minutes. But you want now you just got younger and you got a guy who can defend in the middle. And yeah, they absolutely need him. Hardenstein is has been very good in that starter's role. He and which, but I always say this about baseball players who have who are traditionally role players who have a good week or two because they're starting because somebody's hurt. And then the calls come in from the fans. Oh, why don't you play this guy more? Because he's a role player. That's what role players <laughs> do. The numbers will bear it out. And, you know, Hartenstein's been great. I love watching him play. I think the offense works great. But you got to watch his minutes. You can't have him on the court for 30, 35 minutes every night. You're not. He's just not going to be as successful, I don't think. I think he's going to get some time uh, going forward and provide some depth there. They clearly need it. And there's some guys in that rotation for the Knicks, like Deuce McBride, you know, thank you know, go West Virginia, that will have to uh he's gonna get some he's gonna get a little bit extra time. They just he just re-signed a deal there for I think for three years and yep. you know by NBA standards small change, but not, not by this panel's uh uh measurement. But he's gonna I think they're they're gonna give him a shot to see if he can play some more minutes and how effective he's another defender. And now if the Knicks want to make it in this conference and make a serious run, they got to fix the defense and getting some of these guys is the first step. I would think he would also be able to get some minutes backing up Randall at times as well. I mean, he Mm -hmm. can play four and five. My concern with him when you put him in to the five position, you know, he's like six, eight and he's, you know, I mean, He's a physical presence, but he's not like one of those long, like Mitchell Robinson type rim protectors. So their perimeter defense is going to have to really be good. And Ananobi's going to definitely help there. So the guys can't get to where he won't be able to block their shots. Yeah. No, I mean, he, he does beat Taj Gibson, though. I think we can all agree with that, especially at this day and age. Taj and, Gibson's uh, older than me. Yeah. And, and real I like quickly, him too. I've, I've watched him play. He's He's been a serviceable guy but there's a reason he's on the team they're desperate for for big bad depth and this you know you've if if precious is as as good as uh you know he can be he's gonna get the minutes yep and before we get to uh the toronto aspect of this malachi flynn obviously not sure how much he'll play at all as you mentioned uh, Deuce McBride just got that three-year deal from the Knicks. But uh, I will say this. He's kind of always given me 
Peyton Pritchard type vibes, a guy that's really just not had a chance to show what he can do. Maybe he'll get his chance, maybe not, but uh, whatever. Bruce, give me your thoughts here on RJ Barrett. Obviously, he was a key return piece for Toronto. What are your thoughts on him uh, getting a chance to to go home and suit up with the Raptors? Well, he grew up rooting for the Raptors. He's a native of Toronto. He's only 23 years old. Okay. Number three overall pick in 2019 behind Zion and Ja. Uh, he's put up some good scoring numbers during his career, but I think New York fans really expected much more from him uh, than what he was able to deliver. Um, with a less demanding fan base in Canada, you would think he would be more comfortable and hopefully will be able to flourish. But it could also go the other way where it becomes like, well, you know, I got a whole lot of cousins that I didn't know I knew about and uh, they all want tickets. And, you know, it's the whole hometown thing where there can be distractions, uh, you know, that that would cause him to, you know, have issues. I mean, look, it, it happens. Right. Yeah. So the question there is, is he going to be able to lock in and say, OK, you know, um, be, you know, tell his family and his friends, whatever, you know, uh, it, it, it's it's business for me now. And uh, I, you know, I got work to do. I think uh, some guys, they just need a change of scenery sometimes. I mean, and, yeah. you know, maybe that's what this guy needs. Yeah, and will be. I mean, I think for RJ's sake, a fresh and familiar change of scenery, being that it is Toronto, is going to pay big dividends. Had a, fir- a good first game to get started off on the right foot, scoring 19 points on 6 of 12 shooting. Also grabbed nine rebounds. I mean, uh, what's your take on RJ headed back home? And uh, are you still going to be rooting him on? Or are you, you know, hoping, uh, you know, the Knicks made the right move? Uh, well, I'm hoping the Knicks made the right move. <laughs> RJ, uh, he was one of my favorite guys to pick on uh, during you know, while we've been doing the show. He just was. He's a shooting guard who can't shoot. That's that's kind of, yeah. And a starting shooting guard who can't shoot. That's hard to that's hard to do in in this league. But that was that's been his biggest problem. You know, he's the worst shooter in the league by by effective field goal percentage. He is the worst shooter in the league among players. I think there's about 55 or 60 players who have taken 40 uh 400 field goal attempts. Nobody has an effective field goal percentage worse than RJ Barrett. It's just it's just the way it is. He he can get his points. He just couldn't shoot the ball consistently with the Knicks. And I I think he's got a chance to do better. He's only, like Bruce said, he's only 23. There's plenty of room. There's no rule that says if you if you can't do it in your first five years, you're you just washed up, go home. He's got, in 10 years, he'll only be 33 and have about 15 years in the league. So yep. you, know, you, you want to think that he's going to get better. And, it may, you know, I, I think this will be a good step for him. The problem is, what does Toronto do going forward? Is he going to? How long is he going to be spending time with uh, Siakam there in that lineup and stuff? Because that, yeah, that's the next big question up in Toronto. Certainly is. And Bruce, let's talk about a guy that can shoot. That is Emmanuel quickly, another key piece to this trade. He's a young, talented bucket getter in New York. This guy was developing into a serious six man of the year candidate, but on Sunday, quickly started for the Raptors which moved Dennis Schroeder to the bench. Do you think this guy's going to be a long-term starter with Toronto? I think probably so. I mean, look, he came off the bench for the Knicks, played 24 minutes a game, averaged 15 points. I mean, that's big-time production uh, for a guy off the bench. I think the expectation is, I'm sure it's his expectation, is that he's going to start uh, up there. Um, 
And given his explosiveness as a scorer, I mean, you know, it's very likely this guy could become a 20-point-a-game guy and have some breakout games and eventually a breakout career, not unlike fellow Kentucky Wildcat Tyrese Maxey's getting it, getting things done in Philadelphia. So um, I think he's going to feel like, you know, you know how it is with Tibbs. I mean, you guys know. A lot of times, you know, you can end up in his doghouse sometimes for reasons that only he understands. Um, but, and I think quickly as good as he's been for those guys, I never really felt like he and Tibbs were like, you know, you know, you know, mentally in the same direction. So give him a change of scenery, let him go wild up there in Canada. They're not making the playoffs this year. Uh, and, uh, let's see what they can do. I mean, look, you never know. I mean, I've always liked him because whenever the Knicks would play the Celtics, he would torch Boston. So I'm perfectly happy to see him like move on from from the Knicks. And will be you said it perfectly here. Obviously, to get something, you got to give up something. But uh, how much did it hurt to see IQ's name in, in that trade? Oh, it was tough. It was tough as you know. It was the only way you were going to get somebody like uh, OG to come come to New York. So he's one of the more tradable assets that the Knicks had, and teams want him. I agree with Bruce. I think he's going to be a starter, or he should be a starter in Toronto and to see what he can do. He wants to get paid after this season. That's one of the reasons he got sent out by the Knicks. The Knicks aren't going to pay him what he you know, he wanted in, in the offseason. For reasons like Bruce said, I really – I can understand it. They just threw a, a lot of money at R.J. Barrett a couple of years ago when they weren't seeing a whole lot of return on that. But, you know, uh, IQ is – He's a bucket guy. He can get points. He's bailed him out so many times, uh, plenty more times than R.J. Barrett, I promise you, during during their <laughs> tenure with the Knicks. Um, so th- that was tough to see him go. He has a lot of qualities, I agree with Bruce, that remind me of Tyrese Maxey. You know, giving a little more uh, opportunity, here's what I can do. And I think he's going to do that in Toronto. And you'd like to see Toronto – up the ante and, and show that they're going to go forward with uh, Siakam and, you know, give him a deal in the offseason, make sure he's taken care of. Because now you have, a, you have a decent three group there with RJ quickly and, uh, and Scotty Siakam. Barnes. And Scotty Barnes. And Scotty Barnes was having an excellent season. One yep. of my favorite players turned around this season to watch. Uh, so that's a, that's a pretty good – lineup to go with if you you know want to contend down the road i just don't know what the next move is going to be by toronto i suspect siakam days in toronto may be numbered yep and certainly not least in this deal we we do have to mention that pistons 2024 second round pick the knicks gave up barring any crazy changes this pick is certainly going to be either 31 or 32 in next year's draft which is pretty significant for a number of reasons lots of times you can find a late first round value at number 31 or 32. And additionally, a second-round picks contract is not fully guaranteed. So with that in mind, if an international prospect is selected in the second round, it makes it much more financially responsible, much financially makes more sense, and easier for the organization to decide to retain that player's rights overseas and, and not bring over that prospect right away. And lastly, guys, the the big wrinkle on this upcoming season's draft this year, the draft is going to be divided into two nights, the first night for the first round 
in the second night for the second round, which will allow teams a lot more time to evaluate the remaining draft board and most importantly, a ton, a ton more time to discuss trade opportunities. So, uh, Bruce, what were your thoughts when you saw that this was the Pistons second round pick uh, being included in this deal? Well, I mean, right now, I mean, they're they're two games up on uh, the Spurs for the worst record <laughs> in, the, in the entire league. So uh, it's like a first round pick. It's like a low first round pick. There's so many guys coming out now. There's the and and so look, um, that's how you build a team, right? You yep. don't really build a team the way they're trying to do it in Phoenix right now. You build a team the way Oklahoma City did it, you know, with draft picks and smart drafting and you know timely trades. So I would say that, uh, you know, this, this in the short term, this deal is definitely better for the Knicks, yeah. but down the road, I think I would give a slight edge to Toronto, uh, mainly because of quickly. Yeah. World B, who do you have one in this trade? Uh, I think, I think it's a, the Knicks because of where they are in the standings and what OG can provide for them. If it works out the way, Knicks fans and you know myself and whatever the Knicks are hoping, I think it's a really good trade for the Knicks. They want to compete with the best in the East. They want to try this. That's what this move is about. We're falling further and further behind the you know, especially of late. The defense has been terrible of late, and you know they want to make a move. They want to make a move to challenge, like they want to be the third team in the East which may not happen anymore with the Sixers playing so well. You're going to have the big three once again. But that was always the hope at the beginning of the season. So I think I, I think the Knicks did not give up the, the world for this guy. And they have plenty more opportunities with draft picks and whatever to make more moves down the road. So I think, I think this was a good deal for the Knicks. Alrighty, and I'll quickly disagree with you there. I think the Toronto Raptors won this deal. Uh, you look back at the two guys they traded to Toronto was R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think those were the two players rumored to be in any deal for Donovan Mitchell just a few summers ago. And uh, obviously that would have incorporated some first-round picks as well. But uh, you know, to get back O.G. Ananobi, I, I see the defensive improvement. I think he's going to help him short-term. But OG is also a guy that's been banged up quite a bit, does get yep. hurt at times. We know that Tom Thibodeau is definitely going to, you know, play him about 40 minutes a night, especially since he's his best defender. Um, and I think Emmanuel quickly is really going to surprise the entire league. I think a fresh, clean plate with a coach that's going to buy in and believe into his abilities and not pressure him to do things as much as, you know, Tom Thibodeau might. I think quickly is going to really become come into his own and be a starting caliber point guard. As Bruce mentioned, Tyrese Maxey as a great example. I could certainly see him being one of those guys in the Eastern Conference as well. I'll say it like this. If you're really looking to break it down, who won this trade, I look at it this way. Which team has R.J. Barrett and which team doesn't? <laughs> oh, wow. So that's that's, that's yeah. why the Knicks have gotten ahead on this deal. That's <laughs> nice just how one. it is. One last singer for R.J. there from uh, World Beat. On your way out, on my way out the door. <laughs> And with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer. So we're going to take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. All right, we're back with the third quarter. And the Thunder keep it rolling and continue to make noise out west. They're currently in a battle with the Beast of the East and Bruce's Boston Celtics. Bruce, do you have any type of update for us on how that matchup's going? 
Uh, yeah, right now as we speak at uh, around 20 minutes to 10 Eastern time, it's 9180 Oklahoma City. Ooh. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander is carving up the Celtics defense like he was having Thanksgiving at the arena tonight. <laughs> uh, he's got 28 points. He's, he's 12 out of 16 from the floor. Um, and, uh, you know, Josh Giddy is also having a nice game. He's at 21 points right now. Jalen Brown has yet to show up tonight. Uh, he's shot one for 10 in 26 minutes. And uh, it looks like, you know, Lou Dortz hounded him a little bit, you know, in this game. So right now, I mean, you know, it, it definitely looks like this is Oklahoma City's game tonight. And look, they're 22 and nine, okay? They're the second best record in the West, the fourth best record in the NBA. These guys are not, you know, these guys are legit. They have the best road record in the NBA, People might not realize that. They're 9-4 and four on the road. No team in the league has a better road record than, than the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, last year, after 31 games, they had 13 wins. This year, after 31 games, they got 22 wins, okay? Two years ago, they finished the whole season with 24 wins. So if you don't buy Oklahoma City stock, you're not following the league. Yeah, well said there. And uh, World B, uh, I had mentioned this in my – uh, season preview predictions, but I had SGA winning MVP this year, which I know is seemed at the time like a long shot. But as of now, I mean, do you think he could do it? Absolutely. Uh, I think there. I don't think there's any question the way they're playing. If he can lead them to you know continue what the momentum we've we've actually seen over the last few years, them have a couple spurts early in the season where we're like, oh, is this the time they're going to shine? And then reality sets in. They, they, what I mentioned at the top, they can't shoot. They've been a terrible shooting team for years. That seems to be going away. They seem to be – they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league, even with SGA on the roster, who's not a good three-point shooter. It's an amazing thing to watch him play. He is one of the worst three-point shooters in the league for a guy of his stature. I think I don't even think he's making a third of his three-pointers this year. And yet – he is one of the best scorers in the league. He leads the league in drives. He's done it for years since he's come into this league. And he just can't be stopped. It's it's only – imagine if he can actually get a consistent jumper down, how dangerous he's going to be with his uh, with his ability to get to the basket. Uh, you can make the case, and very easily, I think, that after the Celtics, regardless of what happens tonight, the Thunder are the second-best team in the league. I firmly believe that. They're – they are that good. They play. They, how many teams in the West do you want to go up against in a seven-game series at this point right now? Are you confident that can beat beat the uh, the Thunder? I don't. I don't see too many right there. Maybe the Nuggets, but I'm not real comfortable with their defense uh, overall. Again, so I don't know what other teams are out there in the West. I don't trust the Timberwolves at this point. Yeah, so there, the, there's. I'll oh, go ahead, Ross. Sorry, I was going to ask you, Brett, Bruce, with what World B just said. Keeping that in mind, maybe the best team in the Western Conference. If you're Sam Presti, is this the time to make the big move with all those draft picks, or do you not want to disrupt the cohesion they already have? They've been extremely cohesive this year. They've had very good health. They've mostly had their starting lineup together for not every game, but I, I, I'd be willing to bet. And I didn't do the research on it, but I'd be willing to bet. They're up there, high up in the league as far as having their top starting lineup intact the most games. I mean, look, 
Uh, World B, I think, slightly undersold their offensive uh, the season that they're having. Uh, they're number one in three-point shooting percentage-wise. Number one in the league, okay? Uh, as a team, from the floor in general, they're shooting a tick under 50%, 49.9%, okay? That's number three in the league. Uh, they're number four in points scored. They're the best free-throw shooting team in the league. As a team, they shoot almost 80 Four percent from the free throw line. That's silly. All right. Yeah. Miami's the only team even close. Okay. Uh, and they're a very strong defensive team as well. I mean, look, opponents shoot just forty-four point three from the floor, number one in the league. I've said it a million times. That's the defensive stat according to people who know the game. Uh, they're tied for number one in block shots. Okay. They're fourth in steals. They're third in scoring differential. Their biggest flaw, and if you're talking about some kind of a move that Sam Presti should make, they need to be better rebounding team. They're not a good rebounding team. So if there's somebody out there that can get them some boards that can play meaningful minutes and help them control the boards, there's no question that they have the potential for a deep playoff run. Yeah, real quickly, here we'll be. Um, I'm going to ask the same question to you. Would you make a trade, and is there a player you have in mind that could really fit into the nucleus in Oklahoma City? Uh, I don't, I don't know if I would make one at this moment because they are playing so well. And as you mentioned, with all these drafts and how young they are, the future is really isn't now. It's you know the future is really the future. There's there's some teams where the future is now. Phoenix, yeah. the future is now. The window is now. Um, this isn't the window for the window for Oklahoma City is this year, next year. The year after, you know, let's compete the way the Celtics compete every year. Let's compete the way the Bucks compete every year. Let's be one of those teams. And I, I, it's a tough call. I at this point, I'd say no. Okay. Well, I think you got to make a move because you can't pay all these young players. I mean, the, the salary cap would just go through the roof uh, to pay all these guys after the rookie deals are up. But Bruce, great point there on the free throw percentage, and a lot of that credit has to go to their big man Chet Holgram. You mentioned. Miami Heat as well. That's Bam Adebayo. I would almost guess that Philadelphia is probably third because of Joel and Embiid. But the center has a lot to do with those team free throw uh, percentages. And uh, a lot of credit should be given to the rookie of the year at this point in my eyes. Will be? The one, yeah, well, real quick. The three the free throw shooting is impressive. It's on pace to be an uh, NBA record, I believe. It's going to be up there. And the, the one problem is they don't get to the line that much. They're yeah. like middle of the pack in free throw attempts, and they only get about uh, – they rank 15th, I believe, in the league in, or 14th in uh, percentage of the points coming from free throws, at least 16% of the points. So you'd like to see that, which is kind of unusual with SGA getting to the rim as often as he does. So while the three-point uh, free throw shooting is great, they got to get some more shots at the – you know, get to the line more often to make that really worth it. Yep. You know. You mentioned Holmgren. I mean, what a difference maker that guy has been. I mean, he's averaging almost 18 and 8, okay? He's third in the league in block shots, you know? He's blocking more shots per game than Anthony Davis, okay? It's pretty good for a rookie, okay? Yeah. He's started every game. He's been in the starting lineup every game, okay? And he's just 21 years old. Kind of reminds me a little of the of Shengun down in Houston. These stud big guys who are super mature players and they're both only 21. Yep. And now as we get to our fourth quarter here, the Pacers took the ball, dot, 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 game 
in Milwaukee on Sunday night, 122-113 in what seems to be the league's newest rivalry. Wouldn't you say, Bruce? We've got a rivalry oh, on our hands? Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Division rivals, small market teams. On Wednesday, a day after this show drops, they will play each other for the fifth. That's five times this season. We haven't even gotten to the All-Star break yet, and they've they've played all five of their games. Wouldn't it be cool to see these guys find each other in the playoffs in an oh, early yeah. round, okay? Because they really dislike each other. I mean, this is like like old Nick's heat level of hatred, I think, you know, building, right? This is good stuff. And, uh, and there's a lot to unpack here. But even like Tyrese Halliburton, who we all love, right? We think the guy's great. We're all huge fans of him. Even he got into the act against, you know, he – he looked down at his wrist after he hit that like dagger three in the in the championship semifinal game. Uh, you know, kind of gave it the old Damian Lillard. I'm going to check my wrist here when he put him up by eight with under a minute left. So it, when a kid, I don't mean to call him a kid, but a young player like like Tyrese Halliburton is ready to go up and 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 challenge somebody like Damian Lillard, which is really kind of what that was. You, you know, I mean, you've got some good stuff going on here, World B. Absolutely. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, not They hasn't talked about the week that Tyrese had last week enough, in my opinion. He's just the third guy in NBA history to have a 20-20 game, 20 points and 20 assists in back-to-back games. And while he's doing that, he turns it over twice in two games, 42 assists, and two turnovers. That's unbelievable to me. And I just, I don't understand how it isn't getting more publicity for what, for the, that number alone is ridiculous. 20 assists and no turnovers. I think that was his number against the Nets. Who does that? That doesn't happen. And score while you're at it. Score 20 points or so. So, you know, it's, they are seemingly back. Last week we talked about the fallout from the in-season tournament, how it's affecting them. I think we can put that to bed after four straight wins, and they're back to scoring at will like they like they have been. So, yeah, they, they look like they're back. Their last loss was to the Magic. I guess these days, you know, losing to the Magic is their wake-up call for the way that Orlando's playing these days. So uh, they've seemingly got it back on track, and you they keep scoring the way they score. Good luck trying to keep up with them. Yeah. Hey, Ross, Ross, your, your guy Giannis – I mean, we're going to talk about that 64-point game and the fallout on that. But people forget he also had a 54-point game against Indiana this season. And in the four games so far, he's averaging 46. So, you know, you know he's haunting Miles Turner's dreams. Oh, he absolutely is. And uh, I feel like he's uh, been dominating the paces for years now. You go look at his highlight reels throughout the course of his career, and he's just throwing down sledgehammers left or right on the Indiana Pacers. But I actually came for with a quick pop uh, pop quiz question for both of you here. So the first person to answer correctly wins. In the month of December, Giannis averaged 32.5 points, 11.5 rebounds, 6.8 assists, and sh- shot 61.6% uh, from the field for the full month of December. Only one other player in NBA history has done that for a full month. Who is it? First answer correctly wins. Giannis. Wilt Chamberlain? Close. You're closer, Bruce, there. It is uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the only player to 
to put up that type of stat line for a full month. And uh, Giannis was right there. So I felt, felt like that was a good time to to sneak that pop quiz question in. But, you know, more than the game ball incident, more than the Pacers in-season tournament knockout of the Bucks in Vegas, my favorite aspect of this growing rivalry is that Indiana's franchise face in Tyrese Halliburton is born and raised in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So he is a Wisconsin native to add to all of this that we just discussed there. So lots of fun to come for this uh, growing rivalry and certainly hope that we could see this in a playoff series. But uh, with that, we'll go ahead and take a quick break before best bets and final thoughts. All right, we're back with best bets. And how about a Wednesday night Bulls at Knicks parlay? That's right, tomorrow night, Wednesday, I've got a same-game parlay for you, and it starts like this. Jalen Brunson, 25 points. He's coming off a really bad shooting night, an uncharacteristic 5 of 23 from the field against the Wolves on Monday. I see Brunson getting back on track with a bounce-back performance at home against his hometown Chicago Bulls. We're going to also throw in Julius Randle for 20 points. Randle has been on a tear and is coming off one of the best games so far in the early season, dropping 39 points on the Timberwolves. So 20 points should be easy money. I've also got Andre Drummond with 12-plus rebounds with both his teammate, Nikola Vucevic, and Mitchell Robinson out due to injury. Andre, the rebounding giant, should easily surpass 12 boards for the game. And lastly, I've got the Knicks money line thrown in this parlay. The Bulls will be on a back-to-back and uh, are playing tonight in Philly and reportedly traveling by bus to New York after Tuesday night's game. The Knicks should have fresher legs and are riding the momentum of adding OG Ananobi to their core. So uh, keep those four props in mind for your same game parlay tomorrow night and good luck. And with that, let's go ahead and get to our clothing, closing thoughts. Bruce, I'll start with you. All right, Ross. It's been quite a week for the Detroit Pistons. They <laughs> looked great in the first half against Boston on Thursday, leading by as many as 21 points before melting down in the third quarter and eventually losing in overtime for the 28th straight loss. Coach Monty Williams praised the effort of his team, and when the Pistons ended the streak on Saturday night against Toronto, as predicted last week by Ross Geiger, I might add, okay, Mm -hmm. uh, it looked like, you know, I mean, they won that game against Toronto despite giving up 83 points in the second half, so go figure (laughs) that one. But, you know, it's the Pistons, Wins right? win. <laughs> exactly. But there was palpable relief in Motown because, you know, the streak was over and things are going to get better, right? Well, yeah, maybe. Monday they visited Houston and suffered another brutal third-quarter meltdown. Uh, they gave up 47 points in the third quarter to the Rockets and were outscored by 22 in the quarter and lost the game by 23. So that there was the game. Now, their next three games are on the road at suddenly hot Utah, and maybe we might have to start talking about that team in another week or two if they can keep that up. Suddenly hot Utah, Golden State and Denver, followed by a home game against the Kings. So relief may be still a week away from uh, Wednesday night when the Pistons host the Spurs, okay, um, who have the second-worst record in the league. And you may recall that the Pistons and Spurs, whose combined record this year is 8-57, and Okay, played each other in the 2005 NBA Finals. But as former Celtics coach Rick Pitino might say, Chauncey Billups and Tim Duncan ain't walking through that door. (laughs) They certainly are not. And that should be a fun, uh, fun matchup there between the Spurs and uh, Pistons next week. Will be. 
Thank you, Ross. Yeah, I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago uh, Tyrese Halliburton and what a uh, ridiculous run he's been um, recently. I want to highlight him again here because he is really putting up some incredible numbers of late. And I mentioned he he was the third player in NBA history to have 20 points and 20 assists in consecutive games. He joins John Stockton and Magic Johnson on that list. That's an incredible uh, group to be, be with, arguably, you know, Certainly, the two greatest point guards of that era, uh, along with maybe Isaiah Thomas. So, when the All NBA teams come out this year, it'll be very tough for somebody like Halliburton to make the first team with so much competition. But if you look at his numbers, it's not out of the realm of possibility when you consider he's averaging about five assists per turnover, which is an incredible ratio for a guy who has the ball that much in his hand. I know Ty, uh, Tyus Jones usually leads the league in this category year after year, but he doesn't handle the ball the way Tyrese does. And he's averaging about 27 a game during his last uh, five or six games and 15 assists a game and only two turnovers. It's an incredible run for a guy who is a, when we talked about SGA not being able to shoot very well this year, Tyrese Halliburton has shot the ball at least 40% from three-point range every year of his career. He is a consistent ball player year after year, and he's just starting to, like SGA, starting to come into his own as one of the elite point guards in this league. And I don't know if he's going to be first-team All-NBA when it comes out at the end of the year, but I really hope he gets some serious consideration because his numbers and the way he is leading this team make him one of the elite players in this league. Certainly so, and that's a great point there. I think when it comes to the All-NBA selections this year, the two biggest names I'm watching are Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Edwards to see if they where they fall in line with those uh, first, second, and third classes there. As for my closing thought, it's more of a question here, and it's kind of revisiting the Toronto Raptors trade with the New York Knicks. And the question is, should the Raptors stop here? Obviously, they have Pascal Siakam. Is he next to go? I certainly think he should be at this point. They're now open for business. NBA teams know they're open for business, and uh, they shouldn't stop here at this point. Again, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, the whole goal at this point should now be to build your team around Scotty Barnes, the former Rookie of the Year, and uh, see what you can get back for Siakam. I think that there could be some aggressive suitors out there looking for such a talented uh, power forward like Siakam, and uh, why not get this done sooner rather than later? They obviously... Didn't waste any time to trade OG this year. I mean, December 15th was less than a month away, and they're already making deals. So um, let's keep open, keep the shop open, make some more trades, and uh, maybe we'll be back for an extended first half here on the 48 Minutes podcast here soon to go ahead and dissect that trade. But uh, I'm really keeping an eye on that, and I think it would be in the best interest of the franchise in Toronto to, to go ahead and trade Siakam next. But with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.